Hello and welcome to the Artist Contemporary Podcast, the podcast that champions contemporary artists, curators and galleries. Listen each week to hear me, Anna Woodward, speak to a different person about their experiences, their practice and what they're currently up to within the contemporary arts. And welcome to the Ask Contemporary podcast. Today I'm joined by Megan Ray and the Slacky Studio. So this episode is going to be a little bit different as we're going to be talking to the two artists individually about their latest exhibition on the Ask Contemporary, Rough Around the Edges. So first I'm joined by Megan. And Megan, could you please introduce yourself and your practice? Hello. Um, Yes, so I'm a painter in Hoxton, well, based in Hoxton, East London. And... um, my work is inspired by goes, and I make my own paper to create architectural fragments of imagined cityscapes in their freshly painted state. Um, and the pieces have quite a dry aesthetic to them because I want to create the illusion that the paintings are made of plaster like they are in original frescoes painted on yeah. the wall. I've never actually thought about it in that way, but that's so true. There was this real like dryness in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is. Yeah. I think it's partly because well I do prime the paper, but I feel like perhaps maybe the paper is more absorbent than mm. it would be if it was like paint on a board or a canvas. It's more of a like two separate things, whereas with paper it kind of oozes into the material. Yeah, I think there's also this real texture to the work. Yeah. Not bobbles or like kind of like ingrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite porous. Yeah, and it's not um, kind of very like regular. It's not like a repeated pattern. It's all of it's different. Like you have some areas which is so smooth. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's quite nice. I think that's what I like about it as well. Because some bits, you know, there are tiny holes where the paper's just missing completely, and it does look like a ruin. Um, but yeah, it's cool. It looks a bit semi-restored semi-not and just makes it a little bit more interesting to look at I think yeah up close anyway yeah and what's your processing kind of obviously we'll talk if you can maybe explain about how you actually make the paper Mm -hmm. but then also how you kind of form your image and what's your process and how the two kind of come together yeah uh so the paper making process I started out doing like I experimented with a few different ways in the early stages because I wasn't really um, entirely versed about how to create a solid surface. But what I do now is, um, so I get lots of newspaper, tear it into small bits, um, put a small amount in a blender with a lot of water, blend it up until it's a very, very fine mush. Um, and it becomes really silky. It looks almost like velvet and it feels very, very soft. It's also my writing thing. I have a couple of friends who, when I was at art school, made their own paper. It, go, it goes to this like, weird grey, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really deep. It's like, uh, what could you compare it to? It almost looks like dry, no, wet clay. Like if you yeah. get big bits of grey clay in a lump, it looks a bit like that. Um, so yeah, it's quite satisfying to touch. Uh, and then once you have the mush or the pulp, uh, I sieve it through a, a sieve until it's pretty much all of the water is gone. And then sometimes you have to squeeze it a little bit tighter in your hand just to get rid of any excess. Mm. Um, and then I use a big wooden board and push the paper pulp into the board. And once you've kind of like 
pushed it down quite far. I put kitchen roll on the top and then roll it out with a, a wine bottle to soak up all of the <laughs> all of the water. Very on brand with the kind yeah, of so brand. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um and then yeah, so then I just build it up from there really. So this the pieces start from about, you know, you'll get about a seven centimeter diameter at a time and then you grow it. Mm bit by bit um yeah so I have I do sketch out a lot of the work that I'm going to make beforehand so in my head I have an idea of what the shape is going to be but sometimes I do like to mix it up and create pieces that uh maybe a little bit more unconventional or it's interesting as well because sometimes you see it <laughs> I'm looking at the blob of paper on the board yeah and even if it's like quite a funky shape and there's something not right about it you can shuffle it around quite quickly and you just know instinctively if that's not the shape you want to use even though it's very simple and very like gray board paper whatever yeah I guess also because it's so much like when you're making the paper you have you do have a lot of control like how you want the form to be Mm -hmm. and it is so like not labor intensive but it's not like for me as a painter Mm -hmm. I go to an art shop I buy a canvas exactly you're making it so when I guess when it gets to the point that it's dry you're like I need to want to make something on this exactly yeah but um yeah so it's really fun to play around with but also when it's dry you can obviously tear bits off as well so you can chop and change it that way and when you do tear it you can see more of the layers on the side so it has Mm. a bit of an extra edge so I've done that on quite a few of them um but yeah it's a really great I think it's a really fun process to use so yeah. I'm enjoying it because I think also like I think the idea of like the paper pulp and paper but actually handmade paper is incredibly strong it's mm-hmm. not like your regular like sketchbook or like printer yeah paper exactly. and I think that that almost like yes your works do classify as works on paper because of the process and the materiality mm-hmm. but actually there's so much more mm-hmm. I think that is because the durability of them mm-hmm. yeah they have a really nice um wait sorry what was your question again no I was just saying no no, no I was just saying oh. like, there is this like real strength to them in yeah. the quality of it yeah because they do seem more like objects to me anyway and when you pick it up like it doesn't have the same Obviously, they're very fragile, but you treat them in a very different way to have mm. with a painting. Uh, and they, you know, you can bend them. Some of them can roll slightly. Others are a bit thicker, so they're very, very robust. Uh, so, yeah, each of them have a very different character. Yeah, I would be terrified of rolling one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's only one which I can roll, <laughs> yeah. which is the thinnest. But the others are like, nope, <laughs> not yeah. <laughs> then that it really leans into the whole point like the aspect of them being frescoes and the building and like stone and the physicality of it mm. of what they're representing exactly um and that's what oh sorry, my screen's just flashing uh, <laughs> that's what I was thinking in terms of display as well because obviously that's a massive part of creating a work like how you're going to hang it in a gallery how you're gonna if somebody buys it how are they going to hang it in their home um, and I like that you can put it straight on the wall and it's yeah. part of the wall. It's like, there's no difference. There's no border. There's not real, a real difference in, um, like, uh, like space pushing out from the wall, if you get what I mean, like yeah. a frame would. 
it's yeah. very flush I think that's the thing and they have their own and I think this is where I kind of sit with them but I think of them more as being works on paper as I think works on paper are quite a kind of typical piece of art that you will put in a frame mm-hmm. because I think that they have that extra physicality mm-hmm. which is more in line with like a canvas painting exactly because the surface is really important to me when I'm painting and building up all of these layers because colours catch in the little pores of space on the paper so it's really nice you can see previous layers like you know 10 layers beforehand you can see the process um so yeah I think it would be a shame to hang it behind glass really I'd like people to look up closely at it and that's like there is so much texture in them and even edges themselves and I love the idea that when we were hanging rough around the edges the way that you kind of use um teeny teeny tacks Mm -hmm. to put them on and it means you get these very subtle shadows of the edge and it just I think it reminds you of how organic they are Mm -hmm. and how they're not shop-bought material you actually as the artist as the maker yes everything in it yeah I think that's a really nice thing as well um and what was I I was going to say something about (laughs) shadows and it's completely gone uh, it will come back to me. It will come back. It will probably come back in the middle of the night. Like, oh, that's what I was. That, that was the golden nugget of information. That was. That was, to say. That was the one piece we did the recording for. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you have recently exhibited with Bislaki Studio mm-hmm. um, in Rough Around the Edges. How do you think your work and Bislaki's kind of responded and interacted with one another? Mm. I I think they responded in a lot of ways, actually. Uh, I really love how, because we didn't plan, we hadn't seen each other's work before we hung it. So it was really exciting to see how it would look on the wall, but we didn't plan um, colour palettes at all. Yeah. And when we hung them, they just co- collaborated really well with each other. They corresponded really nicely. And I feel like, his work was almost the abstract version of my work. Uh, like a lot of the tones were the same, the dark and light shades were the same. Um, and I think that worked, that was a really strong feature of it. Mm. Um, and what else did I think? Uh, yeah, I think they move in a very similar way. Uh, both of our works heavily feature shapes, weaving in and out of each other, around each other. Uh, and in that way, the structural composition of their of our pieces communicate really well. Yeah, I think there's also this feel of them not being contained to the structure and mm. this work. There's this real, I think, especially in the canvas-based works of this real like strength and yeah, like, nature. Yeah, that they go. You can see the stretcher frame, but they go beyond that. And I really liked. I think when I was kind of thinking about bringing your two practices together for the show, was the idea of just I think I'm someone who gets fascinated in detail Mm, and just like these like both the works and the edges just really pull me in but then you both have very you have like similar color palettes in the tone and I think Bizaki and I in his half talk a lot about like the Mediterranean and his tie to that yeah um but the strength and the warmth in your color palettes yeah I think so and also I think it's partly the uh well I really liked how his pieces were very strong and very heavy and all of the canvas bits were like 
stacked on top of each other whereas mine was almost the delicate counterpart to that and it was a bit softer um so there was a nice balance between the two yeah no it was really great I just love this idea of when you're finally allowed to go to Italy and just oh lose your mind so good I've already got so many lists of places that I want to see so you have to go like that's the first on my list yeah literally (laughs) yeah do a little trek around all of the mountain churches yeah I mean it'd just be so amazing I love like we've spoken about it before in your work how you kind of have these very kind of repeated mark making in the lines and the structure but then mm-hmm. the way that you introduce the ribbons or the stars kind of yeah. really push this um medieval kind of mythological side to the work yeah I definitely wanted to capture the romanticism of the frescoes that are painted in Italy uh yeah especially on ceilings with all of the stars and the moons and everything has quite a personality uh so I think, yeah, I wanted to create a bit more of a setting rather than mm. having a bit more of a almost, you know, brutalist style architecture, concrete only, very straightforward structures. Um, and also, because I've been looking at a lot of Fra Angelico's work and Giotto's work, they are heavily... Um, there's a lot of characters painted in them. And I don't paint people in my work, but I wanted to create that softness, like Mm. um, evoke the softness of the materials, their clothes. They paint a lot of flags and throws and things like that. So yeah, the ribbons are a bit of an ode to the softness of materials. There's differences in um, uh, texture. Yeah. yeah and it's just like sometimes you don't need the literal reference of there being a person yeah. or a cloth or whatever it's just the very subtlety and I think the way I'm thinking in particular I can't think of the name because obviously we don't like <laughs> awful remembering names of works but it's the pink one yes with the ribbon just weaving in and out and it's not it, it's not overpowering it doesn't take your whole attention but it's mm-hmm. just there it's just present and it just really has this feel that it is just blowing mm-hmm. in warm wind. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it does, because obviously in, um, well, if you look at um, frescoes from Italian churches, they're quite confined to a certain space. So often mm. the, um, people are stretched taller than the buildings and the base of the building is very stretched as well. And then the top of the building is very squashed. So it fits in the border. Um, so a lot of my work is either stretched in a similar way or I've added the bendy legs that kind of creep over the walls. Um, I've got the uh, just crenellated edges, which are maybe a little bit more unusual than they perhaps would be in an original fresco. But I want to create that personality that yeah. the people and the figures bring into the, um, the narrative of the originals. Yeah, and we've mentioned before this kind of idea that you have of um, some of your pieces, the way that, like, in a world that they've fallen off the wall, yes. making a whole kind of fresco, but of lots of different kind of moulded paper, that when you then hung it, it could make a whole image. A whole wall. That's yeah. a really nice idea. Yeah, I've thought about creating, um, like, a triptych, in mm. that kind of style but never putting it across the whole wall and doing lots of 
that would be really cute because then you could play with perspective as well yeah there could be a lot of different experimentation um I was thinking of doing uh like a series like a series of six but there's a little bit of a of a narrative amongst mm -hmm. the buildings like within the painting yeah um so I've done a few sketches for that but I just want to get a bigger piece of wood so I can make bigger pieces of paper. I feel like that's the thing also like I love the idea of doing a work that um because I think all the stuff I've kind of seen so far have been between like 30 to 70 centimeters which is yeah. obviously the restriction that is the, the legendary <laughs> piece of wood literally yeah the one um, with the ribbons is the side, size of the board <laughs> basically <laughs> um but I love this idea of having tiny tiny pieces and then massive yeah pieces and the kind of intimacy of being drawn into the detail and what you're seeing in your thought process but then actually yeah. the larger scale being like this is a fresco this is what the kind of yeah. heritage of the imagery and your inspiration and influences yeah that's really nice as well because you'd be playing with the the intimacy that you'd feel with either a big piece or a small piece and obviously with a small piece you do feel more connected because you can see it perhaps at a closer distance to the wall yeah or, um, you can see it all as one piece, but with a bigger one, it would be intimate in the sense that it is connected to the small. So, yeah. Yeah. I think also the idea of, with scale is when you do get this ginormous piece of wood that you <laughs> have to get in your studio and out and works out of your studio. Yeah. Of it, the physicality and the materiality of it being paper. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously, because it would be so big, I think it would have to be quite thin because otherwise mm -hmm. it would be quite brittle if it was too thick. And then you'd have to obviously bend it to get out of the studio doors and yeah. into a into a van. Um, but yeah, you have to think of all these practical things, which is a little bit boring, but obviously essential if you're <laughs> going to put that much effort into a painting. Yeah, but also the physical act of making, because obviously like the um, your board at the moment, it's very like within your kind of, yeah like everything and like yeah. physically to make yeah I imagine it's controllable yeah it does it would be more controllable on a smaller scale on a bigger scale as well it it is quite labor intensive and mm. time consuming so I probably have to dedicate a whole day to it um but I think that would be exciting exciting so if anyone knows the massive plank of wood yeah <laughs> or a massive piece of plastic that would be good also yeah like, well, we uh, need to go to business well this is the thing when what is it the 19th of july when social distancing apparently <laughs> and just go to businesses and be like give me your plastic go yeah they probably have loads loads left over in the back and pubs and restaurants honestly maybe you should join some like mm. facebook groups or next door from old signs yeah. oh yeah that's a good idea next door okay, I'm gonna write that down yeah. <laughs> it's like a locals app and most of it's like people being like can someone like stop being so noisy <laughs> but yeah so do you have any projects coming up that you're allowed to mention at all any projects um I am going to be involved in uh studio uh Switzerland the studio the <laughs> gallery in Switzerland called studio um they're going to be having a show in august which i'm involved in and i'm 
in talk with a couple of artists at the moment to do duo shows, but it's at the very early stages, so I yeah. don't want to confirm anything just in case it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> People will be like, uh, sorry, what? <laughs> Been counting down the days to this show yeah. that you mentioned? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> no, that's so great. It's so exciting. And I guess that's the such a great part of your practice. You do kind of have these two halves of the making of the paper and then the making of the paintings mm, yeah I do feel like I have to put two different heads on when I'm going to the studio and I know I'm going to do either one um set aside some time um do you ever get the moments when you wish you you were doing the other yeah yeah <laughs> mostly when I'm halfway through making the paper I'm like oh I just want to sit down have a leisurely paint yeah but <laughs> you've got all of the materials out by then and I would have blended all the paper so yeah it done. Um, but yeah I do like putting my back into it a little bit and also there was such a satisfaction of making the entire thing from my own hands yeah. I think that's, yeah there's something very satisfying in it mm. and I think that's the thing also if you're work that you really get the human touch in it yeah in a a good way Mm. like you can see that it's physically made and it's so organic yeah I hope that people do see that it is handmade um because I haven't really seen any other shapes of paper like that I'll send you an artist who makes (gasps) these um she's called Steph and she makes her own paper and she makes pots (gasps) wow yeah. oh my god okay yeah. working a project and I was like please and she was like I'm too busy I can't I oh they're so cool I will send you the great link. and can I you put believe they were, it was paper can you put water in them or are they like dry pots well I don't I don't think so but if I <laughs> I was looking at them and I was like on the arm be like do I get one and I was like no save money be well behaved financially yeah um and I was thinking, like, if I bought something, I'd be so terrified to go and put water in it. Yeah. Or, like, even how it acts, reacts with the humidity. Because <laughs> I worry that with my work. I'm like, what if there is, like, a secret gap that I haven't painted over with primer, something gets in and then it disintegrates. Obviously, I'm probably just catastrophizing in my own head because I'm very... Yes. Um, <laughs> I've got a very good attention... Uh, I've got good attention to detail so I wouldn't let that happen but (laughs) I guess though I guess with the thing is they'll be pretty well sealed yeah they are very well sealed I put on you know three or four layers of primer on there so there is no I feel like it's like with all work so if you were to drop a glass of water on any artwork it's not great it's not great but it could create uh, a new piece of work Obviously, if it's not your own, you'd have Collectors, different... do not chuck water. Do not chuck water, no. Well, it's like that... Um, one of my favourite paintings is um, Peter Doig's Man Dressed as Bat. Have you seen it? The yeah. big purple piece. Um, and that has the big watermarks down the middle because he left it in the garage overnight and the garage flooded. So it created this whole new painting. But I think it's all the better for it yeah it's stunning it's those accident moments when it's a very happy angry and then yeah Yeah. i was always (laughs) planning on doing this and it looks amazing (laughs) amazing but i will let you get on with your evening but thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much for taking part in rough around the edges (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to part two of this episode where we are talking about Rough Around the Edges, the duo show with Megan Ray and Bizlaki. So in this half I'm joined by Bizlaki and please could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm a London-based painter and um, I make work by using canvas as a construction materials to, to make composition that are referencing wall construction motifs uh, that I use as a source to inform my creative process. Yeah, it's really interesting that you describe yourself as a painter because I think when I think of your work, I think it sits between this really interesting realm of being painting but also being sculptural. How do you define that realm and where you sit between it? I think uh, I, I'd like to say that I'm a painter and because that's what I actually do with my work. So when I uh, manipulate the canvas in a way that is kind of projected outside this support, yeah, we can say it kind of becomes uh, like uh, it's a sculptural surface, but uh, the idea, like the way I work and the way the work is conceived, it's, uh, it's through painting and yeah. like... Uh, because the canvas, the canvas is always subjected to uh, a sort of like a painting preparation, and mm. then it goes through uh, another painting process. And like, uh, and once I stretch it on the canvas, I like even if it looks twisted, which has this sort of again like sculpture approach, is always the idea is always connected to painting, uh, or that's what I feel mainly when I work. Yeah, I always find yourself, and we've spoken about before in Man on Stay Arts practice, there are so many similarities, but also your practices are incredibly different in the work you make, but in the way that you approach painting, that you use kind of both very traditional techniques and a quite traditional process, yet your paintings are very much kind of contemporary representations and contemporary explorations into what is a painting? Is a painting yeah. just canvas or linen stretched regularly on a frame or how can you take those actual surface materials and make them a much more important part of the work yeah that's exactly the thing i'm trying to work with like uh when i make a work when i make painting like uh, generally i try to question the idea of painting like you know, this is something that's always been done. But using traditional processes to make work allows me to get close to the idea of painting even more. And then as the language develops into a sort of more like, a, let's call it contemporary uh, language, mm. uh, that that's my uh, attempt to, to try and make a painting or to try and make... A, a, to, to, to try and explore the work differently from what has been done before. Yeah. I think also another really kind of big part of your work is also the whole kind of side of the colour theory within yeah. it and the way you bring different colours together. Could you talk a little bit more about that and your sort of process around that? Yeah, color is very based on an idea, on an idea of like uh, uh, it's very sort of surreal because I I don't really select colors in terms of like uh, oh you know I have to do this project so I'm gonna use these colors so they just come come into my mind and according to what I like according to what I see it's always based on something that subconsciously I keep you know I keep referencing to 
but uh, whenever I make work, uh, colors, I use colors in a way like, oh, cool, today I like this, so I'm going to try out this color. And then it works. I might change it afterwards. So it's very sort of like, uh, you know, moody. It's a, like a sort of moody process. Like, mm. I feel like this today, so I'm going to work with these colors. But honestly, it also goes like uh, in terms of like uh, this is a period of time, for instance, when I'm constantly working with barf colors, like grays, I use a lot of grays, uh, dark colors, uh, umbers, uh, blacks sometimes. So it's, uh, yeah, this is like, uh, I, I don't like to say this, but it's sort of like the dark period yeah. in a way. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's unsurprising from the kind of 18 months that has passed. Exactly, yeah. Maybe it's related to that. Yeah. yeah. I think also with your... Because am I right in thinking that you use a lot of pigments and then you build up your colours and your paints? Yeah. That process rather than just using kind of shop board. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's also another thing that connects me to the idea of like traditional paints. Uh, I started to use pigments when I was when I was still uh, a uni, and like I found out. Uh, first of all, I, I worked with an artist who was using pigments, mm. and so I was very fascinated by the intensity of the color, and also by the sort of crafty aspect of making your own color, you know. And then I went to this workshop, which was in Amsterdam, like a few years ago. I went to the Rembrandt house and they gave us an introduction about like how old masters, in particular Rembrandt, used to make colors. And that was totally fascinating for me. And like, I got stuck with this idea of like making my own color. Yeah. I think also with your, when I think about your work and look at it, there is this real kind of vibrancy, but consistency within the kind of tone that you use, if that makes sense. I think your colours have this kind of consistent strength running through them. And in particular, I'm thinking of like the really, the like royal blue, which is so strong contrasting against a more aqua blue. They're just so incredible in person to look at that you actually, you're amazed at the kind of structure and the way you're manipulating the canvas, but also the way that the colours are so strong and they're not, you don't see kind of lighter bits or darker bits, even in the twisting, it's just the consistency. I think uh, I think uh, somehow I because I didn't know about that the first time I made the twist, so I thought I would uh, I would get this sort of like uh, um, sequence of uh, you know lights and shadows because of the twist, which I do get. But the colors, like you say, is always intense. But the idea of having like a sort of very deep color, bright colors, is I think is related to my Mediterranean background, where like. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go and see the sky and like it's bright, it's full and bright, like it's a very good blue. Yeah. And you see it's ultramarine blue, like they've got, like colors or, you know, natural landscapes are so fascinating because they've got thousands and thousands of shades that I don't think the human eye is able to actually see all of them, but we keep thinking about them and we can like dream about them and they will come out. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And am I right in thinking that you're going back to Italy in a couple of months? Yeah, I'm actually going in a couple of weeks. (laughs) So I bet you're so excited to get back. Yeah. It's, it's going to be cool, actually, yeah. I'm going to go back home for, like, uh, a little while and then I'm off to a residency in Milan. 
for four months. I'm so jealous. I wish I was going to Italy. (laughs) (laughs) So much envy leaving grey, grey London for those beautiful Mediterranean colours. Yeah, exactly. So what's your kind of process? I know a little bit about your process and I know you've kind of recently been more looking into these kind of works on paper as well. But how would you kind of describe generally your process in making a piece? Well, uh, the process is very like uh, sort of methodic because like it starts with uh, first of all when I make uh, when I make uh, these structures in my paintings like the base of the structure which is the wooden support they use mm-hmm. is like uh, they're simple stretcher bars like yeah. together and like uh, you know the various size stretcher bars they're put together to create my composition to start with. And then when I twist the canvas around, first of all, I start to stretch the canvas like the pieces of canvas on a wall. But every stripe, uh, twisted stripe, is like a piece of canvas. They cut out the mm. according to the dimensions they need. And then I start to stretch it onto a wall and I start to prime it. And then after the priming phase, uh, the canvas get painted. And then after the painting phase, the canvas starts. I start to piece the canvas. I like to stretch it over the uh, the wooden support. And uh, it's uh, it's got like uh, the process also got various uh, you know um, changes. Like sometimes, for instance, I like I recently started to uh, twist the canvas in a different way, like uh, trying to make uh, a different kind of twist. Or like sometimes the twist is like more like uh, is bigger or is it can get smaller? It, it, it really varies according to the kind of work they have to make. Um, um, and the end, like uh, once the work is all coming together, uh, if it's a big work, it's gonna be heavy because it's got lots of materials. But yeah. usually, small works are much more like um, like lighter and approachable in terms of like uh, size. And that's when I started to think about the works on paper that you mentioned before. Uh, the works on paper came uh, from the similar process of the paintings, because the paintings were fast. And then I started to make, uh, like, to join little pieces of paper together to, to make the base of the work. And then I started to cut out strip of paper and then twisting them, and then attaching them onto, onto the other paper. So. It's uh, it's kind of a methodical process, I would say. Yeah. And then obviously, recently, you've just exhibited with Megan in Rough Around the Edges. How do you think your work and Megan's work responds to one another? It's very interesting, actually, because, like, we both work on, like, we have this very strong approach on, like, surfaces. Mm-hmm. Like, we really care about the main support of the work. She works with paper, she makes her own paper, I make my own colors, you know. It's that kind of like, uh, in a way, crafty approach. And then the works, uh, like the function of our works is very interesting because it's pretty much based on the idea of traditional painting, but obviously expressed in different ways. Like mm-hmm. she's much more like sort of figurative than me, whereas I have to go this sort of kind of abstract approach more into the work. Um, but yeah, the work together, I think uh, it's uh, it's a really nice combo and uh, it's a great show. Yeah, and I think there's this real tie of like going back to the Mediterranean colour palette. Obviously, she's looking at frescoes and looks a lot of kind of 
paintings that were made and inspired by by the Mediterranean and then your kind of Mediterranean upbringing and heritage the two comes together and when we were doing the install we I was looking at them being like there were so many similarities in color palettes but just used in your own kind of unique practices they really came together really well yeah yeah I agree with that and that's also the interesting interesting aspect of the work that is this sort of she has this very strong uh, uh, reference to uh you know italian masters so you know those kind of works which are full of colors full of mm. like the composition is very structural as well uh, and like i am the kind of the same but uh, the difference is like i come from those places and like and this is can be the interesting aspect of how like uh, let's say mediterranean colors can be fascinating other like also for like uh, other people yeah and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a quite interesting thing in the work. Definitely. So at the moment, which contemporary artists are you finding having the biggest influence on your practice? Mm, like established artists or emerging artists? Any. Any. Uh, there are Keep it several, broad. Keep it hard, uh, for, hard for you to answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there are several, actually. I started to look at uh like going back in time a little bit i i started to develop my my work through looking at artists from uh, uh abstraction uh, abstract expressionism or uh, like uh, arte povera which was a movement uh, developed in italy during the 80s and uh, because there was very interesting in like in the object aspects of the work like object painting shaped mm. canvas and i was from then, that from that, I started to develop my own work. But uh, going into a more contemporary line, line uh, uh, I would say, uh, like, uh, Peter Harley is one of the, my main influences. Uh, like, a lot of abs- abstractions, actually. Like, uh, there's Sean Scully. Uh, there is, uh, uh, like, Anish Kapoor as well, a little mm. bit, for, like, more the structural aspects of the work. Uh, and in terms of emerging artists, there are so many, like, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable how many artists they come up every day. Uh, but I've got, like, uh, one of the artists they like the most is Bea Bonafini. Yes, I love her work. Yeah, I she's incredible. Like, she makes this uh, very interesting work. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, a lot of also, like some of my friends, like, uh, you know, there's Gabriel Carucci, we, we share a studio together for like a, a couple of years. Yeah. And, like, we, our practice kind of like overlap each other in terms of interest, in terms of technique, in terms of like methodology with the work, and, like uh, his work, I think, developed so much uh, over this uh, you know, periods of time that it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Definitely. So as you mentioned, you're going off back to Italy for a residency. Mm-hmm. Do you have any projects that you're allowed to speak about or mention that are coming up? Uh, no, at the moment, really, because I'm kind of working on, uh, uh, on a couple of things, but, uh, they haven't been confirmed, uh, you know, uh, so I think the first thing that we'll do is like go into the residency and then uh, start to plan from from that pretty much. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to. My intention is like to have a, an exhibition at the end of the of the residence in Italy. So I'm working on that at the moment. Yeah, I guess it will be quite like a big like homage to going back to Italy and obviously like you're talking about the colors and the inspiration from the Mediterranean because it would have been so long since you've kind of had your work exhibited and made yeah. work in Italy because of lockdown and because of COVID. Yeah, and also the fact that I've never exhibited in Italy before because like I can say I'm a British artist, you know. Yeah. I expected <laughs> to, yeah, my career started here in England, so I'm free only, like, you know, meeting lots of people, but my connections are mainly, like, English, UK-based. So it would be interesting to know more about the Italian aspect of mm. the art scene. Yeah, definitely. And then after the residency, we'll be coming back to London. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> that is good to hear. No, it's yeah. really exciting to kind of see what you'll be making when you're on this residency. Because I think when people go into residencies, it kind of, there's a shift in your practice of like intensity of working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the good thing about residencies because. I think uh, when you go to residency, you have to have this sort of mindset that you need to be completely like, okay, forget what you've done so far, forget mm. what you do when you are in your own studio because it's going to be different. Like uh, you're going to have to experiment a lot. Yeah. To, you would have to approach new uh, new materials. You, it's like you are invited to use new things for your work. And that's when the work like goes to a different level as well. Yeah, it's kind of the idea of going back to when you're kind of in the art school and we both went to City and Guilds. We yeah. had quite similar experiences of those kind of development, the time in the timetable where it's put where you're solely just developing and thinking through ideas. And I think sometimes in like everyday practice outside of the kind of residency and art school environment, you were just going like super fast paced to make pieces and don't yeah. always step back and remove yourself and reflect and look upon what you're doing. Yeah, that's the thing. That's, uh, I think that's the right approach. Uh, you know, also like, uh, I remember when I went to Pala, for instance, in Lisbon, like Pala was an experience that completely changed my life in terms of like my work. Mm. Uh, you know, I got back to London and I started to make different things, but because I was completely like free from every, every sort of like, uh, uh, imposition like that you have to make this you know you have to keep making your own yeah. thing but no I went down and made completely different things and uh, it was very interesting for me yeah what I really loved about when you're at Pada is the way that you kind of took your work and I would say then your work was more three-dimensional and freestanding mm -hmm. and the way that you put it into the architecture of the building was yeah. really fascinating it's and really hard. striking and like such a different way because because also before then I'd seen your work at like the sitting girls degree show where they were very much like their own yeah. objects but putting it back into the architecture and the structure of it was a really interesting way to kind of view your work and uh, yeah exactly I agree with that and that's when my interest with architecture like uh, uh, came up because like uh, I went there like with this idea of like uh, I knew Bada and the industrial aspect of mm. the place, but obviously I didn't know the potential of the venue. So when I was there, I immediately thought about like uh, doing something with it. 
but that's when you have this very sort of like free approach and like you know you're totally like into with with, with your mind into the like the place and like uh, the the new set of ideas that you're gonna develop when you're there. And uh, I think uh, that's very interesting. Then also like a part of they're very helpful, like uh, they're super friendly, like, uh, you know, you go there, can I make this? Oh yeah, let's do this. We had to, I remember we had to rent a scaffolding to allow me to reach the <laughs> high windows of the building. And like we did that, you know, they are super, yeah, super helpful. And like, uh, and they love when you make, when you have that kind of approach. Yeah. I'm still so heartbroken that I wasn't able to go this summer, but... I know, I know. Honestly, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Nice, nice. Yeah, because I've got... I'm starting my master's in September, so then I think maybe after after that I will be able to go back and do my residency. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that COVID finally goes. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll see. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so great to kind of learn more about your practice and what you're up to. And I'm really excited to see what you make on your residency. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Artist Contemporary podcast. Remember to check out the Artist Contemporary Instagram and to subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all the episodes, artists and exhibitions that are posted on the platform.